when you're deciding to start up your own firm, you have to decide, do I want to be an entrepreneur? Because most lawyers are thinking of themselves as a lawyer. But when you start up your own firm, you are now officially an entrepreneur and business owner. Taking a leap to begin your own law firm can be both exciting and terrifying. But with the right support, anything is possible. I'm in a lot of conversations with women lawyers when they're talking about, like, should I start up my own firm? Should I go out on my own or not? I always kind of start with, don't let the fear keep you from doing the thing that you think you're supposed to do, right? When your gut tells you to do something and whether everything lines up perfectly or not, sometimes we just have to do it afraid. According to a recent survey, only 19% of managing partners in U.S. law firms are female. We would like to see that change. Hello, and welcome to Law Her, the show where we celebrate the trailblazing attorneys and entrepreneurs who are changing the game for women in the legal field. Be inspired by their stories, learn from their mistakes, and look forward to the future that they're helping build for the next generation of women in law. I'm Sonia Palmer, your host and VP of Operations at Rankings where we help elite personal injury attorneys dominate first page rankings with SEO. This is LawHer. Jamie Hall has a vision to revolutionize the legal industry and positively impact the world. Co-founder and CEO of St. Louis-based Legal Back Office, she and Sarah Stock solve business development problems for small to mid-sized legal firms. From staffing and firm efficiency to payroll and tracking billable hours, the duo teaches firms how to grow their client base and increase profitability. Jamie is an expert in saying yes to the seemingly impossible and has fun while doing it. When we choose to do things afraid and allow ourselves to be uncomfortable, not only do we get to see what we're made of, but we grow in the process. I talked with her about what it really takes to start a law firm, the importance of early goal settings for founding partners and what it means to be a badass boss and an imperfect human. Armed with self-taught body of knowledge, Jamie transformed her theater degree into a position as director of leadership development for a national professional services firm and leader of a 100 plus person back office at a global litigation firm. I wanted to know more about Jamie's unconventional background. Let's dive in. I went to Emerson College, shout out Emerson in Boston, Massachusetts. and. That was my one undergraduate sort of dream school. And I had to audition. They let 50 people in of 2,500 that audition. And I was just kind of like, you know what? If I get in, great, I'll take the opportunity. But I'm not likely to get it. Well, I ended up getting accepted. And I was like, that's one of those life opportunities that you don't say no to, right? And I've kind of lived my life trying to just say yes is to as much as possible. And so ended up in theater school, kind of um, leaned more towards the directing aspects of the theater instead of acting. And also did a lot of film. I really got introduced to film while I was in my undergrad as well. And really at the end of the day, directing a play is just about leadership, right? You're setting a vision for what you want to achieve and you've got to get lighting and costumes and makeup and actors and dancers and musicians all on the same page. And you want people to feel something at the end or take away some sort of message. I mean, really, that is leadership. And so I feel like I learned a lot of leadership lessons going through that program. And then what do you do when you get a theater degree or an acting degree if you're not going to go into acting? So I went back to school to get my teaching certificate to teach high school speech and drama, which I didn't end up actually doing because I got offered a job 
actually setting up a corporate university. It was sort of the perfect blend of my, I had an event planning background, uh, sort of the directing and bringing everyone together and getting around the same page. And then I had the education of education. And the CEO was like, I really want to set up a corporate university where our people can get trained and educated. And it just kind of kept flowing from there where then I got recruited into the Lincoln industry based on the work that I had done at the healthcare auditing company. And here I am today. So I ran the business side of a large global law firm and met my business partner now who runs a 12 lawyer firm. And she was like, you know what? This concept of an outsourced business management group for law firms, especially small to mid-sized ones, makes a lot of sense. We should start a company together. And I was like, nice to meet you too. Like literally. <laughs> so, you know, it's been pretty serendipitous ever since. So here we are three and a half awesome. years later. Did you have any lessons from theater school that prepared you for CEO today? Just going to school in a completely different area of the country than where I had grown up exposed me to just a, a much more diverse um, population of people in understanding humans that come from different backgrounds was really a life-shaping situation. How do you get all these people from these different backgrounds sort of on the same page? I would have done it the same way all over again because that degree has actually turned out to help me a lot. Yeah, it's turned out well for you. You got your MBA from Washington University in St. Louis. When did you decide you kind of wanted to go to business school? Where did that fit in? And do you feel that had a large impact on your career? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I actually had my third baby in late 2013. And for a couple of years, then at that point, I had really been learning everything about business. It was like getting my MBA through Google. (laughs) (laughs) It's literally every time I'd hear a word I didn't know, or I knew I needed to accomplish something, but didn't know how to do it. I was just self-learning and just trying to get as many resources as possible. Harvard Business Review, I credit a lot of my organic business knowledge coming from HBR. Shout out to HBR. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's funny. Like all of my friends, even my peers would read People Magazine when traveling on the plane and I'm like picking up the best HBR. I decided I wanted to get my MBA in about early 2014 as just life would have it. And, you know, you're moving forward in your career. Things get busy. I actually didn't end up starting the program until about the same time I was starting legal back office. So started legal back office, had a nine month old who was my fourth kid at the time and was like, yeah, why not get an MBA at the same time? Oh goodness. That's (laughs) totally sane and normal. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's a lot to juggle. How did you do it? Resilience. Mm -hmm. Number one. Vision for what I wanted Mm -hmm. to achieve. And last but certainly not least, the incredible support system that I had and have. Friends, family, like even my classmates, right? I remember actually there were two of us that had infants that were nursing mothers when we first started the program. And we used to just like trade off and on the nursing mother's room. We're like, like, oh, I left you a bottle of water down there. You know, WashU's culture is absolutely amazing. The professors were amazing. I was in an executive MBA program. These are seasoned professionals, people that have been around for a while. And everyone was just incredibly uh, supportive. And I can't under like value that support system in getting through that time and how important it was. Yeah. Would that be a piece of advice you would give to anyone considering a similar path to develop a support system and make sure that you have that in place? And then are there any other advice that you would give to someone thinking about juggling all of that? 
my first piece of advice, because I'm in a lot of conversations with women lawyers when they're talking about like, should I start up my own firm? Should I go out on my own or not? Or I've been on my own for a while. Should I keep doing it? Or should I go back in house? Like this, there, this is constantly a, a conversation, right? And I always kind of start with the, don't let the fear keep you from doing the thing that you think you're supposed to do, right? When your gut tells you to do something and whether everything lines up perfectly or not, sometimes we just have to do it afraid. You know, I mean, sometimes it's like, I'm, I may not have complete peace or calm about this because it's kind of insane, (laughs) right? Like it's just an anxiety ridden thing to be doing all those things at once, but I'm going to choose to do it afraid because I believe it's the right thing to do. I would say number one, like when you're making that decision, don't let the fear of the unknown or the fear of the being overwhelmed, keep you from doing it. Just do it afraid. And then Number two, that support system, I give that advice to all lady lawyers because, you know, our industry is particularly challenging for females and it's getting better and better, but we just have, we have very unique challenges. And when you've got women, other women specifically around you that have been there and that understand, that is incredibly valuable. So whether you're going into a situation where you're going to be starting a new company or doing big things or you're just living out and working out your day-to-day, you can't underestimate the value of that strong support system and being able to pick up the phone and just make a phone call and talk through things. I love what you said about doing it afraid. I think sometimes just allowing yourself to be uncomfortable, you know, not necessarily like fear or anxiety, but just a little uneasy. It's just a yeah. really good way to kind of see what you're made of. Uh, and what yeah. did you say earlier? Something about, I, I just choose to say yes. Yeah. Just choose yeah. to say yes. It works. Just do it. <laughs> I love it. And it's it's funny. Like those, you know, people that are closest to me will ask me a question about, oh, do you want to go do this? Or would you like another glass of wine? And I'm like, always yes. <laughs> and that's what I say now. Yes. Always yes. Like, you know me well <laughs> enough by now. Always yes. I like that. I, like I might to, steal that. <laughs> would you like to go on vacation next week randomly? Because flights are $59. Yes. Yes. Always yes. <laughs> Jamie's tenacity and resilience drove her to create a legal business operations company, but it was community support that allowed her to build while also attending business school and raising four kids. I wanted to know how Jamie met her co-founder, Sarah Stock, and what drove them to create Legal Back Office. We met through Vistage, which ah. is a you know national CEO yeah. advisory network, and we were in two different groups. But my business coach, who's, who's still my coach today, is fabulous, was like, you know, you guys, just, you need to meet Sarah Stock. She's doing innovative things in the legal industry. You are trying to do innovative things. Innovation in the legal industry is not super common. So I feel like you should know each other. <laughs> and so he made that introduction. And then we, because of our schedules, weren't even able to get together for a few months. So the first time we actually were able to get coffee, literally, I'm not even exaggerating. That was the, hey, what you're doing is pretty cool. I think we could market it. Do you want to start a company together? That's incredible. That's really, really cool. You know, when you meet those people and there's just that synergy there and there's that sort of X factor that you're like, yeah, it's going to be beautiful. What problems does legal back office solve for its clients? This is going to sound really pretentious. All of them. Oh, wow. No, that's not pretentious at all. That's great. Most law firms don't have a problem doing legal work, right? So they're not solving for that problem. They're 
constantly dealing with hiring problems, strategy problems, efficiency problems, technology choices, HR, you know, issues like payroll being correct, reporting, understanding are we profitable is not as simple of an answer, right? Like are our attorneys each profitable? Are our practice areas profitable? Are we making everything we could be making on the bottom line? Are we overstaffed, understaffed? We can solve for all of those. Our legal assistant is overwhelmed with the accounting and the legal billing and and keeping up with all of our work. Outsource it to us. And we actually know how to do it. I feel so bad for these legal assistants across the country that they're legal assistants. And yet they're being asked to be accountants and marketers and HR people. And God love them. They're doing the best they possibly can but the detriment to them when that's not their skill and their career and the detriment to the firm, having someone function those roles that doesn't really know what they're doing is huge. Uh, Would you call it legal operations? I would call it business operation. We can touch the legal side of things. You know, like a lot of times the intake process is probably a little bit broken and we can step in and say, okay, let's help you figure out how to make that process smoother when you've got leads all the way through to becoming clients. Legal operations is typically more about like the case management flow and how you move the cases along. And that's something we don't really touch or get involved in. I'm operations at rankings. So this, that type of stuff fascinates me. How like simple systems and processes can make everybody's lives less stressful, save a ton of money, make people better at their jobs. What's so interesting about it, you know, there's plenty of like online AI software programs doing that sort of work, payroll. I mean, all these things in and of themselves can be outsourced somewhere for cheap. All the work we do is incredibly custom because every law firm has similar but unique problems. So I'm on a call with a client the other day and we're just pulling up their billing software. And I just, I know how to use the software. So I just click in a few places and and the partner says, wait, does that say unbilled time $30,000 from last year? And I was like, yeah. Oh my God, that means we could have billed out $30,000, but we didn't. And you know, it's one simple, all these time entries were not mapped to a matter, right? And it's like, it adds up over time. It might be one hour, one month or two hours the next month. And those are the types of things that we can really help fill gaps, but that wouldn't have come up without that conversation. So that's why I say we can solve for pretty much anything. And and we provide custom service because every client is going to be incredibly unique in what their needs are. So we, we try to approach all work that we do, even with a consulting mindset of how can we help it be better. So when you have attorneys who are thinking about starting their own firms, what should they be thinking about? What are some of the things they need to get in place? Well, I think the number one question that lawyers need to ask themselves, but hardly any of them are, is are you running to something or are you running away from something? Mm. It's pretty common in our industry for lawyers. There's a lot of solo practitioners, you know, for any number of reasons, But I've found that lawyers are typically leaving a big firm because they either don't like the pressure of all the build hours or they don't like the hierarchy and sort of the unnecessary policies and procedures, or they just don't like the really shitty culture because people are really mean to each other all the time, right? Or they don't like that they have no autonomy or say in their cases or whatever. So that's running away from something. When you're deciding to start up your own firm, you have to decide, do I want to be an entrepreneur? Because most lawyers are thinking of themselves as a lawyer. But when you start up your own firm, you are now officially an entrepreneur and business owner. 
And so you're going to be trading one set of headaches for another in that, okay, now you have to figure out how to make payroll. Now you have to figure out how to you know, provide for your employees once you have them. Now you have to deal with employee drama. You have to deal with collecting your own, on your own, sending out your own bills, collecting on your own bills. So I think the number one decision, which most lawyers don't spend time even thinking about is, am I qualified or capable of being an entrepreneur? Mm -hmm. The other thing is lawyers tend to jump into partnership with each other because they've connected in war type scenarios. And when you have those like war wounds with other people, right? Your comrades, Mm -hmm. you're like, okay, let's just do this. We could do so much more together and better together and make more money together that they don't actually talk about the end goal or the end game. Like, so one of you wants to grow a 50 lawyer firm and the other one is saying, do we really want to have associates? But they never even had the conversation. Now they're already in professional marital union. It's a lot harder to get divorced professionally. So I always encourage people have those conversations about what the future looks like, both with yourself, your significant other, if you have one and what that impact is going to be on your family and with the people that you're going into partnership with. My other biggest piece of advice, if you've already made that decision, like, okay, yes, we're going to start this up. So many firms are starting up without a plan. I'm just going to register my business and start billing. If you can take 90 days to just create a plan, a strategy, like, okay, who do we want to be? How do we want to grow? What is it? What does our firm look like three years from now, five years from now? What's the business plan? What's the marketing plan? Getting all of those those ducks in a row over a three month period will set you up for more success. So you're not just told, you're going to be scrambling anyway, but now you're going to be scrambling a little bit less. You can focus on the clients and the billable work right out of the gate. Without a plan, you can wake up someday and be somewhere you never wanted to be. Either your firm's growing far bigger than you wanted it to be, and now you're working constantly and you have no work-life balance, or you wake up one day and you don't have enough work and you're just scrambling just to pay your people or even pay yourself. And those two things happen without a plan. No thing attorneys don't necessarily think about when they go into these things is it's extremely competitive. How do you market yourself? What do you do for marketing? What are some of the things that you've seen that have really been effective for marketing or growing a firm that has just started, assuming they have a plan? (laughs) Well, it's so funny because I was going to say a really good marketing plan. Um, One of of my biggest criticisms of agencies today is that they're not actually building a strategic marketing plan. Mm -hmm. It's more of a, okay, here's a list of services that we can do for you instead of it being rooted in strategy. Okay, so the best agencies to me are saying, well, what are you trying to achieve with your business? How much money are you trying to make? How many cases does that mean you need? Of those like potential people that you're talking to, how many of them usually convert to being a case? So then we can figure out, okay, how many phone calls do you need to be getting in or chats or whatever? Now let's build on a plan that's holistic And I will say too, I think a lot of people, a lot of lawyers assume ROI on marketing. Well, if I just pay someone to do marketing, then I should expect my phone to start ringing. And usually that's okay. Now we're going to throw it, we're going to start doing something on social that's a little bit half-assed. Maybe we push out a blog once a month, but we're going to throw money at a Google ad or throw money at, you know, find or Avo or just or whatever. And then you wake up and you've spent 20 grand and you've gotten hardly anything. Right. And I always tell them too, marketing is not a button that you push. It's a journey that we all go on together. I completely agree. Consistency 
often matters more than how much money you can throw at something. And I don't think they realize that like, once you put your foot on the pedal, like it has to stay on the pedal. It's still like a production game. That's when eventually the ROI will kick in. (laughs) Well, and it's not, it can't be done without them, right? It's like, we still have to be partnered together because okay, we can be doing everything right, digitally speaking, but if you're not going to those networking events and talking to other lawyers or meeting with your referral sources, like that biz dev component is incredibly important as well because people really care about relationships today. So if they talked to one of your competitors at the happy hour yesterday and they get your e-blast today, who are they going to call? They're going to call the person that they had drinks with yesterday, not you because they just got their e-blast, right? So- I always like to emphasize that too. Like, yes, we can take a lot of the work off your plates, but you're still a partner in this, right? We're, we're on this marketing journey together. Uh, that leads right into my next question, which is you offer resources specific to women, including a program called Beyond 3L Lady Lawyers Launch, focused on empowering women in law. Please tell me all about it. I started B3L uh, right before the shutdown. The whole goal being, you know, we've got a lot of Facebook groups out there with lady lawyers empowering each other, asking questions, writing resources. We're getting more more and more resources out there specifically focused on women. I wasn't seeing at the time any real togetherness. Can you see a theme in how much Mm -hmm, I value togetherness? mm -hmm the power of having that group of people come together and learn and share and let loose and just have a lot of freaking fun. It's important, especially in an industry that's already incredibly heavy and challenging. And so our very first B3L retreat was in Jamaica and it was Mm -hmm. so amazing. You know, we spent time educating, we gave CLE, but there was a lot of self-reflection time. We had one-on-ones. You could meet with a CFO to go through your financials, one-on-ones with a counselor, one-on-ones with a business coach. I mean, this was very personal and custom. That's also very important to me. So then we were scheduled for our second B3L to go to Cabo, actually, the end of this month. We're supposed to be going in two weeks. Um, And so we're postponing it because of the COVID variant stuff and Omicron and just wanting to keep people safe. I don't want anyone getting stuck in Cabo because they test positive or getting sick or whatever. But to replace that, we've been doing a monthly video call just to still get the women together and talk through. The theme right now is health. It's financial health. It's mental health. It's cultural health for your organization. Let's talk through what are you doing to maintain health in these particular areas as a human and individual for your teams and in your business. So every month, B3L, we've been posting things on our social media consistently where lady lawyers can can join us and join the conversation. And, and it really is a collaborative conversation. As you're working with female attorneys, are you finding anything that is sort of a unique challenge for them specifically? Yes. I think that it's pretty consistent that when women have come from a more male-dominated negative culture, I have seen a consistent pendulum swing too far in the other direction. Hmm. Whereas leaders we want so badly to have an empowering culture and for people to feel supported and not feel that those negative effects of the, the, the really terrible cultures that we've been a part of. 
that we we get too much in the friend zone. We're too gracious, too patient. We we're not great at holding people accountable to performance, and then we suffer those consequences. So, and I've seen it consistently in women, and not really in men. When men go create their own firms, there's a certain element of that. That's how I want to get away from this, like a lack of autonomy, terrible culture. And really the small firm world, I mean, these lawyers are amazing humans. I wrote a blog called Why I Love Lawyers and You Should Too. I'm probably the only American or human period that's ever written a blog like that. (laughs) Um, But these small firm lawyers are really incredible people and incredible humans. And um, these guys even that are a part of these small firms are really great humans, but they just haven't let that pendulum swing the other way, you know? So I'm constantly, when I'm consulting with our clients, talking through the, okay, how can we put better systems in place for accountability, right? How can we help empower each other with how to have a difficult conversation in a way that honors our values, but still challenges people to step up? So that's the one thing I think I see consistently with women and their struggles. That's a really big like question and something to like really think about. How do you leave plenty of room for graciousness, you know, mm-hmm. to let everybody breathe, take care of themselves while also still like moving the needle forward? You know, yep. like how do we still keep going? And I'm challenged with this too. I, I always, I similarly find like parallel paths between me and the law firm owners mm-hmm. and what we're doing at LBO too. But uh, this pandemic has really, really been tough on humanity and the weight that we've all been feeling. And we've even, our graceometers, if you will, <laughs> we're allowing, I think, a lot more than we probably even would have before. So it's even more challenging to how do you balance that what humans are going through and have been feeling with the fact that we do still have a business to run. I'm just acknowledging that it's not easy. It's not easy at all. And I'm even challenged. It's easier to say, do I say not as I do, right? I love that Jamie is tackling these issues head on while holding space and acknowledging that life can be really challenging. I wanted her advice on how we can compensate when it feels near impossible to operate at full performance. Yeah. And I, my biggest advice is always systems, even though I'm not naturally a systems minded person, Mm -hmm. you can put systems in place to help compensate for your own lack when it comes in that way. So if accountability is a challenge for you, well, just get automatic one-on-one meetings scheduled that are repeated, you know, meetings and scheduled events with your people. So, you know, you're going to have a touch base with them for 30 minutes every single week. And you'll automatically have that opportunity to just check in and say, okay, did you get that thing done last week that you're supposed to get done, right? That yeah. takes some emotions out of it. It takes the getting busy and focusing on the client work out of it because it's it's now a cadence. I love that word cadence. It's a it cadence is. of accountability. Yep. yep. You're speaking my language. I completely agree. A systems allow you to make smart decisions when you don't feel like it emotions can be clouding things, good and bad. I think it's not always necessarily negative, but when you have a process in place, it'll show you what you should do even when you don't necessarily feel like doing it. I came from corporate side of healthcare before legal, and it was very different in terms of pace and expectations of response. Mm. And in a legal industry, we always feel like we have to respond to things right away. You know, like we like we can't take a hot minute. And the, the truth is we can, we can and should. 
not all problems need to be solved in this moment. And if an employee is having an issue or you're having an issue with them or a client's having an issue, and, and this is not 100% of the time, of course, there are things that need to be solved right away. Sometimes you can just wait a day. It can wait a day till you're in a better headspace, till you've processed and thought through what the right solution is. And sometimes I think we just react right away out of how we're feeling right then. And if our tendency is to lean towards, oh, it's okay, you didn't get it done. It's fine, just do it tomorrow. But really it should have been done yesterday, right? In that moment, we might react out of what's comfortable. Give it a few hours, give it a day and come back and say, hey, you know, that was really supposed to get done the previous day. Let's talk about why it didn't. Yeah, just giving it a minute. Like, give some things a minute. We work with lawyers. They're so great to work with. And just as we've started the podcast, getting to talk to women who are starting their own firms or mm-hmm. thinking about starting their own firms, it's been amazing. Let's talk about, in addition to all of this, <laughs> you also have a personal brand and blog. And <laughs> why did you choose to sort of build this out? And you have four pillars of your brand. Badass boss, the good life, modern day mommy, and imperfect human. Tell us about them. So it's kind of interesting how this all came up because people have been telling me for a while, like, hey, like, have you thought about, ever thought about writing a book? I hear it so consistently. And then about, I don't know, a year and a half ago, our marketing team started noticing that when I would share something personally uh, on LinkedIn or social, and then they would reshare it it would always like blow up. So there was something about my voice personally that really was resonating with people, but it's not necessarily going to be received in the same way or nor does it make sense for that to be shared, you know, as a legal back office piece of content, right? And so they were like, you know, maybe you should think about building out this personal brand thing. And Mother's Day of last year, it all started really uh, a year ago, like a little over a year ago, November. That's really where it all kind of like started building the site, getting the photos, start writing the content. And I went through a personal brand exercise to determine like, what are the things that like make me me, but also the things that people, when I share, it resonates with them. And I think, you know, women in leadership, the badass boss, like, you know, men have been walking around hoity-toity for a very long time, proud of themselves. And, and we always feel like we have to diminish our, mm-hmm. our value because we want to recognize the team. But I, and I've been criticized, frankly, by people saying, if you have to call yourself a badass boss, then you probably are one, you know? And I'm like, no, I am. Mm-hmm. I'm a badass boss. And I can say that, but I'm also imperfect because I'm a human, right? So if you look at the content, there's far more content on imperfect human than any of the other <laughs> areas. That's good though. Because, well, it's because I'm always reflecting on, you know, things yeah. I could be doing better. And so, but I also think, you know, that balance is, you know, I'm a mom. I can't get out of being a mom. I have four kids and that consumes a lot of my life and I love it. And it shapes who I am. But I also think I have a very different approach to motherhood. Like, cussing. I've had this whole conversation with my kids about cussing. I'm like, mm. I don't care if you cuss. I care more about the intent behind the words that you use. I like that. Right. So if you say to someone, get the fuck out of here versus, you know what? Fuck you. Right. Two totally different meanings. Totally different. I could not use the F word and I could say to someone, I hate you. Mm. Same sentiment. Hate's not a cuss word, is it? I mean, maybe it should be. 
Mm-hmm. I'm just saying, you know, most of society would look at me and say, oh my God, you cuss in front of your kids. You want your kids cuss, but I just have a different way. So that's the modern day mommy. And at the end of the day, I also, I've been saying this for years. If it ain't fun, it ain't worth doing <laughs> because we've got enough heavy stuff in life that we have to take care of. Yeah. Right. And so pop me a good bottle of bubbly and give me some great food. And I am happy as a clam. And I love to cook too. So I like to try new recipes and the good life is more about like me being able to share like the things that I think are really cool. I start, also started a ladies brunch group here in St. Louis. Mm. Uh, it's been going for five years and it's the third Sunday of every month. And I started it because I wanted to make friends. I moved to the central West end. I wanted to make girlfriends that were in the city and I'm in the city now, if you can't tell, hearing the siren go by in the background. <laughs> um, I'm, an, I'm on the 13th floor, urban living. I'll have to show you the view out, out my window. Do. I'm doing that right now. <laughs> and here we are five years later. And, you know, we've got brunch actually coming up this coming Sunday. And we already have 15 people. So it's just, and it's been incredible, these ladies and how much they learn from each other. And like one person might be having a rough day and they're just in tears the whole time. And we're there. And what's really important is that community and mimosas. Doesn't and make mimosas. It bad either. I might crash your brunch next time I'm in St. Louis. <laughs> Don't crash it. You're invited. I'll, Yay. Send, I'll, I'll, I'll send you uh, the link. So we have a Facebook group actually for the brunch too. And when I first started it, it was so selfish. I like brunch. I like mimosas and I want to make friends. So I'm going to start a brunch so that I can get some friends. And if I end up being there by myself, I still haven't lost. I've got brunch and mimosas, right? And it's kind of grown over time. There are times when we have to have a county brunch and a city brunch because there's too many of us. And I was like, how cool would that be to have like a national ladies brunch group that the third Sunday every month, women get together to empower each other and be there for each other and share some great food and mimos. Anyway, so we have a Facebook group for the brunch and that's incredible. And women encourage each other throughout the month and, and it's really cool. So women empowering women is so important. And yeah. we've come from several generations that really didn't do that very well. And I think it's our responsibility for our children to show them a better way. Yeah, I feel like we're we're primed to be able to do exactly that too. Just everything is set up for success for us right now to sort of just do better. Women, empowering women, means a better world for all of us. But we cannot build all of the time. I wanted to know what Jamie does to decompress so she can show up as her best self every day. I like baths and I have one of those little trays that one of my friends got me that goes across the bath. And it's funny, I got really overwhelmed one day last week. And when I can sit, like I can get in the bath and be there for an hour and be pruny and actually be working on my Mm. laptop. And I'm incredibly productive. And I was getting overwhelmed. I'm like, my inbox is insane. I've got to get it cleaned out. And actually, the ops manager at Legal Back Office says to me, Jim, go run yourself a bath, get a glass of wine, bring your laptop, and just knock that shit out. <laughs> and I was like, you're right. That's exactly what I'm going to do. Figure out what works for you. I like to go for a walk in the park, too. Mm-hmm. Like, I live very close to Forest Park. Or if you live anywhere where you can just get outside and breathe fresh air, sometimes just taking a loop and I can be gone only 20 minutes and just go take a loop, which I'm probably going to do that today because it's so nice in St. Louis today. Taking a loop, I'll have my phone with me, but I'm not looking at my email. I'm just walking and breathing and processing. And decompression to me also comes in the form of friendship. 
It really does. I mean, I'm a people person. I'm an extrovert by nature. Um, but I really love being around people and people that love me. And to me, that's decompression, like being able to be around people who I know accept and love me even through my imperfections. And we might be just hooting and hollering and laughing and having a good time and drinking wine. Or one of us might be going through a really hard time and we're crying and drinking vodka and just getting through it together. We always say when one of our girlfriends is going through a really hard time, there's nothing to handle a vodka can't solve. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> and being with your friends, yeah. of course. So <laughs> that sounds really nice. I really think like this theme of, you know, people, we were made for people. Even if you're an introvert, one of my best friends is an introvert. She has seen even more over the last couple of years, how having really good girlfriends has impacted her life for the positive. And humans need other humans to be as successful as we possibly can. So, yeah, I introvert, but I think I thankfully learned that that didn't mean that I needed to avoid people. It just meant that they exhausted me. (laughs) So I love, I love to spend time with people. I can be very outgoing. I just then need to chill. I need to rest. You need to rest up. I I wanted to say one more thing too, uh, because I think it's important is that, you know, when you're dealing with something, I think a lot of lady lawyers, I mean, we're hustlers, right? I mean, and I'm not a lawyer, I'm on the business side, but like women in leadership, we're hustling, right? We're problem solvers, we're resourceful, we're resilient, we know how to get shit done. So it's not always our first inclination to ask others for help or to ask others how they would solve the same problem. And so we can like rush into things. And another thing that I've done is when I'm stuck on something, I'll call up any number of 10 different women and say, I've got this issue. How would you solve it? Something about those conversations always helps inspire a better thought or a better idea. And we don't have to do it all alone. Whoever said that? We don't have to do it all alone. When you've got other business owner friends, and I'm not talking about just a networking group. There are plenty of those out there. I'm talking about people that you know know where the skeletons are buried in my life right? They love me regardless of those skeletons. And I can call them up and say, I've got this problem. How would you solve it? And really get a raw, honest truth out of them of how they would solve it. So utilizing that power in the brain trust and having so many different minds on a problem and not feeling like we have to solve things on our own has helped me a ton over the last few years, especially when you're starting a company that there really wasn't one out there. There wasn't a model. There was definitely wasn't a model being shared. I knew. You know, not like starting up a McDonald's franchise. Right. <laughs> so you're constantly pivoting and solving problems that you didn't even know existed yesterday. Women tend to take on the lion's share of burdens in life and in business. I love Jamie's guiding principle of togetherness. She is a great reminder that we do not have to do any of this alone. Call someone, ask for help, or even just advice. Unburden yourself, hold space for others, collaborate to make good ideas great and build the world of your dreams. A huge thank you to Jamie Hall for sharing her story and unbelievable insights with us today. I had a ton of fun interviewing her. You have been listening to Law Her with me, Sonia Palmer. If you found this content insightful, inspiring, or it just made you smile, please share this episode with the trailblazer in your life. For more about Jamie Hall, check out our show notes. And while you're there, please leave us a review or a five-star rating. It really goes a long way for others to discover the show. And I'll see you next week on Lawher, where we'll shed light on how another of the brightest and boldest women in the legal industry climbed to the top of their field. Bye.